I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. Peter, how are you doing? Great. I, I got to say, uh, so I, I, I don't know if you know, I'm an, I'm an astronautical engineer, yep. right? So, like, this is heaven. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, and you can turn off the clock now. We're going to geek out for about the next two hours. I, I got lots of questions. Um, so, uh, can we pick up where you were? Absolutely. So, the future of space flight, okay, uh, has been very controversial in the last year. Uh, with you know, you're a NASA official, so I won't ask you to either take an official or unofficial position vis-a-vis -vis the controversies that have developed in the last year over space flight. But Given I'll be happy to do that. I'm in trouble all the time anyhow. Oh, okay, well, then, then I will put you on the spot. So uh, George Bush had a vision. No, he had a plan. Not really. He had sort of a plan, but not willing to fund it. And so uh, NASA rethought it, came up with a new plan. Uh, what do you think of the new plan? The new plan involves going to asteroids rather than the moon, involves a different rocket to get there, uh, no longer the shuttle-derived constellation rocket, uh, perhaps a different capsule to get there and a different time frame. What do you think of the new plan? Well, being in, the, in this environment where we're talking about uh, you know, long-term thinking, uh, over the last few decades I've seen an evolution of thought, and I think there's great progress there, that the, 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 the human space program is now really aimed at settling another world. I mean, 20 years ago you, you had to whisper that in you know, dark bars and you know, get fired. Uh, now it's an open you know, thing you can talk about. Uh, so that's great progress. The problem was is that uh, as we started to contemplate that, uh, and, and I was, uh, I served at the, I guess it's embarrassing, I served for the first Bush administration in the White House, uh, and I was the staff officer for the first Moon Mars initiative. And the idea of each... Which Bush? Bush 1. Bush 1. Yeah. Different yeah. Mars initiative than but, we were talking about a moment ago. It's another question. Bush 2 fired me personally, so I was... <laughs> But, uh, that's a mark uh, of honor, isn't that's it? it? It is, actually. <laughs> uh, but uh, that the idea was that now that we've gotten that embedded, and each administration has moved a little further on that, uh, the idea was we would re rebuild Apollo. And uh, that's a great idea, but we don't have the money to do that. And uh, so I think uh, this president very wisely uh, said, uh, look, uh, we got to take a different approach. You know, we're scientists and engineers, let's invent a new way to do it. And he had two key points. And the first point was uh, uh, we need to turn over to the private sector, and that's kind of your area, uh, getting to low Earth orbit. And uh, we're seeing people that now can launch rockets. You know, they build them, you know. You're a fan of Falcon? Uh, Falcon, uh, Falcon 1, Falcon 9. Uh, you know, they made billions of dollars in the Internet, and uh, they all want to go to space. Uh, That'll save us a lot of money. And then what NASA needs to do is to do the other two things we need to settle. One is to how to get to another world, and that's a different thing. The way to do that is to build a true spaceship, and I think probably electric propulsion, uh, probably using solar energy or maybe nuclear energy. Uh, that'll take us between worlds. I mean, anybody that watches science fiction knows they don't just build a, space, a starship and go once. You know, you build a true ship and you go between worlds. Uh, that's the thing that they wanted to start building. And uh, then the third thing is how do you live in another world? Now, I don't have the slightest idea how to do that, although I think 
things like synthetic biology have a lot of potential for that. Uh, that rather than trying to make an environment on Mars like Earth, why don't we modify life? And uh, so it's better suited to that, and I think that's going to happen. Of course, it begs the issue about the human genome. Uh, I mean, I suspect that when people settle in another world, they'll modify that as well. But uh, uh, that's what the new program was. Now, unfortunately, uh, you know, NASA has survived for decades in being a jobs program. And so there's tens of thousands of jobs in some key southern states that have very senior members of Congress, and they had their say, as they should. And so now we're kind of in a compromise. Uh, we're kind of half doing some of the Apollo programs. But I think the good news on this is there's a high premium for inventing new ways to do these things affordably, and I think we're started on the, on the right path. So uh, that's what we had our two-day kumbaya session over. But uh, uh, I'm an optimist. Well, they, they cut some of the budget for the privatization of space, which I didn't appreciate, yep. I must say. I thought that was a mistake. On the other hand, the idea of going, say, to one of the moons of Mars uh, as a first step before going to Mars, because it's much easier to get to, say, Deimos or Phobos, rather than to land on Mars and get back up. That seems more plausible. Well, you've actually hit the nail on the head, and, that, uh, and I have to confess to be guilty to sort of conspiring with various people to get the asteroid and moons of Mars in there. If, if you are building a true spaceship that doesn't have to land on a world, it's a lot cheaper. So the intervening steps are these islands in space, the, the asteroids, and, and then eventually getting to the moons of Mars. Now, one of the curious things about Mars is there may be extant life there. And uh, that's why I think it's essential that we don't just land on Mars. Uh, the moons of Mars are a good place to, to research that, plus they're littered with Martian material. But uh, if there is life there, uh, we need to be very careful. Uh, I mean, and this is, I'm told this is, uh, if you're a conservative, you're worried about it killing us. If you're a liberal, you're worried about us killing it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm told when you mix life from two different areas, uh, usually one kills the other. So uh, we need to be very careful on this one. Uh, and uh, so I think the way to do that is to go to the uh, moons of Mars where we can actually do extensive telerobotic uh, exploration of the planet. But uh, it's exactly what I think we'll do. We will probably be on the moons of Mars around 2030 or so. That sounds plausible. So. Uh you, you touched on something that has interested me. When I, uh, uh, when I was an engineering student, and my degree is in astronautical engineering, rocket propulsion, we all expected by now uh, some form of propulsion that would make it relatively low cost and easy to get to orbit, and even more powerful form of propulsion to get us to other worlds. Uh, not yet talking stars, but just moon, uh, Mars. Any prospects for significant improvement of ground to space and space to space? Well, being the Silicon Valley center director, yes. Uh, in fact, we have a young scientist that we're funding to do uh, uh, microwave thermal propulsion. If you can, and there's been, this has been for quite a while, the idea if you can beam power to the spaceship so you don't have to carry the, all the fuel, and then you use that energy from a laser or a microwave to heat a propellant, uh, it gets you a, a pretty big factor of improvement. I think that's one way of getting off the world. I mean, there's more exotic ways of, you know, giant cannon and so on, but, but uh, it's kind of hard to, for a human to survive in those. But, but uh, the other one, of course, as I alluded to, is uh, electric propulsion. I mean, anybody that watches, you know, uh, uh, Enterprise sees this kind of glowing stuff. They don't see, like, huge plumes of fire coming out the back. So 
So I mean, we, we all know how it's done. But we're getting there. And, uh, and that technology is coming along. Uh, I think within a few years we will see the first prototype of a true spaceship that will take us between worlds. And that, those are major improvements. You know, the, as you know, the fundamental unit of measure is a specific impulse. And if you burn stuff together, you get you know, the specific impulse of 400 or so. And uh, kind of roughly it says that you, know, you get 400 pounds of thrust for a pound of fuel. Uh, and and a, uh, electric propulsion things can get up to 10,000. So, uh, and the technology is coming along. So I'm quite optimistic of both getting off the planet and getting... Uh, between Worlds is going to happen in the next few decades. Well, Stuart and I worked on a film many years ago called Deep Impact. Right. And there's a little joke in there that most people didn't actually get. You would get it, and some members of this audience, given their history, would get it, yeah. which was when they flew out to the comet to uh, smash the comet, they used a Orion rocket, nuclear rocket, yep. to get there. And, of course, the significance of that is that the original nuclear rocket project was called the Orion. Yep. Freeman Dyson, Esther Dyson's father, worked on it. Uh, and the idea was to use nuclear bombs as pop out the back, blow it up, and propel yourself into space and on a deeper space on uh, a column of nuclear explosions. Well, you know, that uh, I'm really intrigued by that. In fact, the, the, uh, Freeman's son, George Dyson, has right. a book about it. It's a Terrific fabulous book. It's a fabulous book. book. And, uh, Project Orion. Uh, and and, and it, it would work, and it will work. But I, I, the interesting thing I think is in that book was the reason that got terminated was that uh, when NASA wasn't interested in it because we chose the, the German approach, uh, of, uh, the Air Force took over that, and uh, the Strategic Air Command did it. And uh, I think Curtis LeMay was the uh, general in charge then, and so they built a mock-up of a of a space battleship, you know, that had bristling with weapons, and, and they took President Kennedy and he showed it to him, and he was so appalled at this thing that he said, okay, that's terminated. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, sometimes you've got to be careful who you show the cool stuff to. Well, in fact, when I was in Shell, we were partners in General Atomic, and General Atomic was the contractor, the original contractor for this atomic rocket motor. And if you go to General Atomic's offices, in San Diego up on Torrey Pines Road, it's a big circle. And the big circle theoretically was the size of the base of the rocket that they were going to build, of the Orion rocket. That's a pretty cool place, uh, the, the, the uh, General Atomic. But uh, I guess let, let me ask you a question is, is a guy that does both uh, rocket science and business, uh, uh, this model that we have of getting the private sector to do a lot of this, uh, do you think that's, uh, that's going to happen? Absolutely. I think it's exactly the right model, both at two different levels. One, the kind of, let me say, uh, low-level space tourism that Richard Branson et al. are pursuing. I think that's exciting, largely because it keeps a kind of sense of frontier uh, open in people's minds. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I think the idea of stimulating a private sector, SpaceX et al. I mean, we already have a number of other small providers before, uh, Orbital Sciences and so on, that launch small rockets. Uh, and the truth of the matter is that it was actually Boeing and Lockheed and North American and those guys, private sector under contract to NASA and Air Force, that were building the big rockets. Uh, the problem is that I think the requirements that were established in the old space age, as it were, are not viable in a commercial space right. age. And so we have to rethink, and I think the problem of Lockheed and Boeing rethinking is very hard. Yeah. That's why it takes almost a start from scratch, and that's why Elon Musk 
has actually figured out how to build relatively simple, relatively lower cost rockets that don't have the performance of, say, some of the big rockets, Atlas, Delta, et cetera, that uh, Lockheed and Boeing have been building, but are actually going to be able to deliver what we really need, getting weight into space at a relatively low cost. Well, you know, I'm very intrigued in this. I, I have two fairly wealthy neighbors there, you know, Sergey and Larry, and uh, I talk to them occasionally, and, and, and they're very interested in space settlement, uh, although they've terrorized my previous boss by telling him that, you know, we're going to send people one way to Mars, which, by the way, I have to say is the right answer, uh, if you send them to settle. Uh, they also said they're going to send old people, which I like because I'm getting to that age. Yeah, I'll go. I'll yeah, go. I'll go to it. Count me in. The, uh, uh, that's kind of the key, the, the key area, but uh, I think it's going to happen. I mean, uh, you know, Larry asked me a couple weeks ago of uh, how much it would cost to send people one way to Mars, and I told him about $10 billion, and his response was, can you get it down to $1 or $2 billion? So now we're starting to get a little argument over the price. Yeah, yeah well, that's, you know, that's the right answer. Uh, one of the other hats that uh, you, you began with in the conversation uh, was aviation. And Ames is one of the big aviation research centers. You've got these giant wind tunnels. Um, one of my privileges when I, uh, toward the end of its era was uh, my family and I flew on the Concorde. Is the supersonic aviation era over? Well, yes. I, actually, I think the enthusiasm is on the other end. In fact, we've started a heavy lift airship uh, program. You also, if you drive down there, you see some airship hangars. Uh, but uh, the Department of Defense is very interested in, in heavy lift airships, things that could carry hundreds of tons. Uh, I think that will revolutionize air transport because it becomes very cheap. Uh, it still goes 100 knots, so they're not that slow. But uh, the idea is that uh, uh, you could easily go to Hawaii, for example. You know, most air journeys are at most at you know, a couple thousand uh, miles. So you go there overnight. And uh, you get an airship, you have a... Cruise liner. You have a cruise liner. And uh, uh, I think the era of airships is going to come back. In fact, we, we see one that's based at Moffett flying over the right now. And uh, I'd like uh, to fly it. It's, it's, it's the one form of flying I've never done. The, the other thing, I think, rather than, than going faster, is, again, a lot less fuel. And uh, the, the other technology is electric engines. Uh, and I think that we're, we're close to the, to the technology where you begin to get chemical fuel energy densities in a battery. And uh, once that happens, uh, then I think electric aviation is the, is the next frontier. So uh, the, the kind of solar-powered uh, large-wing aircraft that we've seen, several variations, mm -hmm. Swiss, uh, the aero-environment version, do you think we'll have kind of solar-powered platforms up there, the equivalent of the alternative to satellites for communication, for observation, and so on? Absolutely, but I think the, the, the real potential of these things is, you know, when you, you, you put a Tesla in the air. Uh, in fact, Elon Musk has talked to us about that, but it's, uh, is that... Tesla in the air. So is the technology... It, it's, I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen very soon. And uh, uh, because we're going to have to have air transport that, that doesn't contribute to greenhouse warming. You know, today, there's about uh, three or four percent of the greenhouse gases comes from air transport. But when we look at who flies, it's only Northern Europe and Japan and maybe South Korea and the U.S. But what's bringing the world closer together is people flying back and forth. And when the rest of the world starts to travel like that, which we're already seeing in China and India, uh, greenhouse gases from aviation will be 20, 30 percent unless we do something about it. What's the answer? Uh, well, I think initially it's uh, things like biofuels. Uh, in fact, we're involved in some cool biofuel things that 
I got in trouble with my boss over, but that's another story. But I think the long-term answer is really high-density batteries that, that are powered off ground-based solar grids so that uh, you know, the, the, your airliner stays plugged in overnight and uh, uh, you get in and it's got an electric engine rather than a chemical engine. Turning a prop? Turning a prop or a turbine, you know, probably a, some sort of uh, you know, turbine-type engine. Well, that, now that would be a, a really radical vision. These would be quiet aircraft, I mm -hmm. would assume. That'd be a, it would really change the nature of flight fundamentally. Yeah, I think it's going to happen uh, you know, sooner rather than later. I think within 10 years we'll have small-scale business-level ones, and within 20 they'll be the airliners. If we don't, I think aviation is through. Well, that, now that's a very radically different vision than I think people would have had of aviation a decade or so ago. You know, it was all SSTs, big jumbo jets, and so on. Uh, and the idea of slower, bigger, cleaner wasn't on the map. Well, you know, the, it, 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 I'm sure the last time you traveled, uh, you know, you spend, you know, three hours getting to the airport and getting on the flight and then fly across the U.S. and it's five hours and, and then you get there and it's three hours to get where you're going. So, you know, getting across the U.S. in two hours rather than five, it doesn't really buy you very much. So I, I think really uh, the human scale of things is going to push us to the slower, efficient, green things that still get you there in a day. If you can get any place in a day, that's reasonable. So, you know, one final sort of radical question, so we don't have much, uh, just like the alien question from before. So, uh, Stuart and I have talked a lot about this, and, and I've never been able to get anybody really thinking seriously about this question, except a little bit, there's some pro people at NASA. So, you think about the future of the human species. There are two very, very fundamentally different scenarios. Scenario one is we're stuck in our solar system, and scenario two, we're not. Scenario one, basically, I mean, frankly, our solar system isn't really very interesting. We can maybe make Mars a little bit interesting, maybe a moon or two of Titan, but basically, we're not going to hang out on Jupiter or Saturn or Mercury or Venus. So, you know, it's basically not a very interesting place. I, 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 I can... Presage your answer. In fact, we have just started a project with DARPA. Okay, so it's called the Hundred Year Starship. All right, so that's the question. And uh, the idea is, we're going to try to set up little mini grants and set up a program that will begin to invest in the technologies that get us in a hundred years a starship. I think it can be done, and uh, we're hoping to, in, in, you know, inveigle certain billionaires to form a hundred year starship fund. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so that's going to start. You'll, uh, it's uh, you heard it here. Uh, but I think they absolutely, we're going to, we need to build a starship. See, you're ahead of us. We talked about this at Long Now, and I couldn't get anybody to take it seriously. I said, nobody will take this seriously. You're right on target. DARPA sent me a million bucks, and I put a hundred grand of our money in, so it tells you the relative budget <laughs> between defense and us. All right. Oh, we've got 22 seconds. So, uh, on the starship, are you going to be on board? I'm not, probably going to live that long, but... Uh, oh, well, you might, you know, life I, extension. I absolutely will like, be on board. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, or at least some genes. Right, exactly. Uh, I, mean, I mean, wasn't there another warden who was involved in space? Y yes, flight? there was. Yes, yeah, so you can pass it on. A distant relative. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This seminar about long-term thinking was brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. Thanks to Fora TV, you can see high-quality videos of the talks online by joining Long Now as a member at longnow.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Stuart Brand.